wrapping up our series called Hashtag Blessed, and we've been talking about the Beatitudes. If you don't know, Beatitudes stands for living life of a, or, or proclamation of utmost bliss, which we all want. We all want to be blessed. I don't know about you. I'm not interested in the opposite of cursed, empowered to fail. We all want to have a blessed life, and Hashtag Blessed went around quite a bit. People still use it some here and there, but the reason why we called it this is because the idea of a hashtag actually combines a lot of thoughts or different imagery online and pulls them all in together where you could read them all and get kind of a continuum of thought or movement. And for us, we wanted you, when you thought of blessed, to actually think of how Jesus interpreted blessed, how he came in with one of his first sermons recorded that we have in the midst of thousands of people who later had the fish fry and the bread, the multitude of food fed everyone, but had an all-day sermon. And he began this sermon with people from all over Galilee, mostly poor, looking for a healer because there were no hospitals at the time. There were doctors here and there, but Jesus was going around, the Bible says, healing people and helping them and casting out demons. And people would flock to him and look to him as the Messiah. So as he gets up in his message, he speaks about what it means to be blessed. And we're going to talk about this today and wrap up this series of blessed. And we've wanted you to think about blessing in those terms. Now, these past couple of weeks, we've had the privilege. My wife preached a couple weeks ago in this series, did a great job. Pastor G last week preached. I haven't been able uh, to speak for the last couple of weeks. And if you don't know, the last couple of weeks have been kind of crazy around uh, our news cycle, around what's going on in our world. And I just wanted to speak really quickly as the pastor of the church to this and what is going on because we know we've seen unbelievable evil uh, violence inflicted on crowds of innocent people in places that we should feel the safest from a church just a couple of weeks ago Laguna Hills to grocery store in Buffalo and most recently Robb Elementary School in Uvalde Texas and that's not even mentioning of course Ukraine and the ongoing war and the other wars and things going around the world today. For us, we know and we, we experience it every day. I'm like you in that sense that this news is just inevitable, going to bring about conversations and it's unavoidable, unavoidable in our current age. As Christians at City Life Church for us, we believe the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus starts by saying, you are salt and light. And salt and light is important, especially salt, the idea of preserving the world. And we do that through two things. We do that through compassion, which is not just feeling, but action-oriented, doing something about it, and through our prayers. I know a lot of people are saying, I'm, I'm tired of hearing thoughts and prayers. I'm tired of hearing thoughts and prayers. We need action. We need that kind of thing. And it makes me sad because we do need prayer as well. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We got to continue to pray, which we're going to do in a moment. But listen, when you say prayer doesn't work, this is the same thing if you had something problem with your plumbing and you just dialed a random number and you say, well, it didn't work. There's no plumbers. Well, prayer is talking to someone. Who are you talking to? Who are we going to? Just the pie in the sky spaghetti monster God? Who are we talking to? 
And what is his will? What is he planning? What does he want to do? Does he hear our cries? Is he seeing the evil? What does he do about it? Well, I believe he does. I believe he hears us. I believe when we cry out to him, we do need to pray. But we also need more than prayer. We need compassion. We need these to work in tandem. Compassion, action, love, movement, doing, and prayer. Please don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I, I think of this past couple of weeks since I'm thinking about the trauma and the craziness going on in our culture with people dying going to a grocery store because of someone's evil intent, people dying, kids dying in elementary school. It's horrible. It's horrific. It should touch you. It should hurt you at a place. And, and I think, what do we do with this? I, I want to go to scripture and think, did Jesus ever experience anything like this? And the answer is absolutely yes. I thought about the story when Jesus is ministering to people and he finds out that his cousin was beheaded, decapitated. The, the one that was paving the way in ministry, the one that he know, he's known for 30 plus years looking and hearing, what did he do? The scripture said that he immediately tried to go and grieve this loss. But he went out and he got on a boat in the Sea of Galilee to go and just get away from the people. And the scripture says, but, and you could, I've been to Israel several times, and you could just picture it, it says, but the people were running and scattered along the hill while he's out trying to get away. And it says he saw them like sheep without a shepherd which is the perfect picture because if you just had sheep going up and down a hill trying to graze, but there's no line and there's no shepherd leading them, leading them, they're just all over the place. And that's what he saw because people saw that Jesus was going to that area and they're running to that area as fast as they can because they needed healing. They needed something from Jesus. So Jesus didn't even have time to even grieve, but he looked and he had compassion. So he stopped and he healed them. He touched them. He was with them. He was able to do this fully man and fully God. And the scripture says why he was able to do this. I don't know about you, we, we could feel this way as we see kind of just the waves and the craziness of our culture that just come one hit after another and you're exhausted. You're trying to deal with maybe your own personal traumas or your own fears, your own anxiety, the, thing, the trouble that you have. And then the, the, the world just knocks at your door or notifies your phone that another thing has happened or another thing. And now the wave of just, oh my gosh, more burdens, more burdens that you're just trying to stay above water to float and tread. Because here's the deal. We're all engaged in this. You can't get away from it. But there's two really hard things I just want to encourage you. And this is before the message before the message, but I want to encourage you two things that I see from the life of Jesus Scripture says that Jesus would often get away early in the morning when the crowds weren't there, when the lights weren't on, when the notifications weren't set so that he could disengage 
from the culture and the world and the trouble to engage with his father. He needed to get away from just the pump of noise and the craziness of life. He needed to disengage to be filled with his father, his love, his purposes, and his power. Now, this is hard in our culture because many of us like, I, I don't want to turn away from the news or disengage because I don't, want to, I, I don't want to become numb or I don't want to act like I don't care. But listen, if you're finding yourself overwhelmed and you're trying to carry the burdens of all of the things going on in the world, you are not God. You can't do it. But you're called to be like Jesus and Jesus would disengage. Do you have that time? Do you give yourself permission to disengage for the moment, to collect, to hear to listen, to be empowered. Listen, it's hard to disengage, but you gotta do it or you're not gonna make it. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Do not stay disengaged. You have to do the other hard thing and that's re-engage. That is get back in the fight, but you are only human. You have your own things as well. Get with the Lord. Get with church community. Disengage. But then, listen, God will empower you to now re-engage with compassion and with prayer. The Bible actually encourages this. Cast your burdens. Like, carry burdens for one another. But then it says, cast them on the Lord. Because this is what prayer is designed to do. It's not designed to be, well, I'll pray for you. I'll send you my thoughts so I don't have to do anything. In fact, Scripture preaches against that. Don't just say be well and fed. That's not real faith. But faith has works attached to it. But we pray. We believe. We pray because we know only God. I can't do everything. And I can't heal the hurt of everyone. Much less be the cure for the evil heart that is in the culture. Only Jesus can do that. So my prayer isn't me ob- obfuscating my ability or abdicating my role, it is saying, God, you are God and I trust you. And then he also empowers us to go and listen, it could be in something as small as a kind word to a stranger. Evil doesn't just grow in one moment, it grows little by little, just like goodness. It could be in giving and serving and sacrificial love, but let that engagement with the Father empower you to now engage with culture. We have to have this action. We have to live in the tension of disengaging and re-engaging. And we need the Spirit's wisdom to be able to do this. So I just wanna encourage you, if you're struggling today, you're not alone. If you're struggling this week and, and it's brought forth all your own traumas and things that have happened the past couple of weeks we get it we're with you we're about to read jesus says blessed are those who mourn not those who stay numb or those who just say god's in control i'm fine no no, no. you can feel it and you should feel it but then we move into a place and a posture of not just helping others and helping ourselves but walking and healing in our culture and we need both I want to encourage you with that today. Now, that segues into our Matthew chapter 5 because Jesus is teaching us how to live this blessed life. What does it mean to be blessed? And he is 
by far not talking about material blessings, which is mostly what we think about when we think about blessing. But he's talking about the silhouette or the kind of person that lives a truly blissful life from his perspective, which I would trust more than anyone else. Let's look at Matthew chapter five. We're gonna read all of it because we are ending the Beatitudes today. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Now I want to walk through, there's nine blessings here. We're going to walk through it. I'm going to preach on all of them because we've been doing this for six weeks. But I want you to see how we can't just look at one alone, but how they build a certain type of person that is blessed and that is a blessing, the attitude of that person as well as the actions of that person. So let's just do a quick recap. Here's the nine blessed statements Jesus gives. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We started this uh, six weeks ago and said, Jesus starts his beautiful soliloquy about being blessed. And you know that people are going, I've got to listen to this guy. He just healed my son or healed this. Like, what are your words to me to live a blessed life? And he starts very interesting. He says, you have to be morally bankrupt to enter the kingdom of heaven and then you're blessed. So we think we have to bring all this to God and I've got to bring all my money and give my tithes and offerings and I've got to come to church every week and I've got to be the perfect Christian person. I have to have all of the perfect doctrines. I've got to have this religiosity. I have to be this tall to ride this right. And Jesus starts by saying, no, you're blessed and you get to actually come and enter the kingdom of God when you bring nothing. And you understand how hard that is? The kind of person that is bankrupt spiritually to say, I literally have nothing in my account to offer. Most people don't do that. In our religiosity or our worldview, we come to God saying, I've got all this. This is why you should choose me. I'm a man of God. And God says, no, 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 no. You actually, I just want you. And it's the most perfect, pure form of relationship. He's not after your stuff. He's not after your amazing gifts. He just wants you. And, and that's beautiful. And we talked about this coming bankrupt and just saying, God, I've got nothing to offer that you don't have. You're God. And he says, that's how I want you to start. Be poor in spirit. Now, this denotes not just spiritual bankruptcy, but he's talking to very poor people, marginalized people in the world. And he's saying, you get to enter this. You don't have to live in the temple. You don't have to have all of these great things. You get this free gift, but all you have to bring is nothing. Then he says, and this builds, then he says, once you get into the kingdom, 
and you have that kind of blessing. The continued blessed type of life are, are people now that mourn. They don't strut like, look, I'm a child of God. They're not cocky. They mourn for their sin and the sin of the world. They don't dismiss the world and all of its problems because now I'm in the kingdom of heaven and I'm good. They mourn, they look around and they go, other people need this as well. Other people need this king and his kingdom, his way of life, his administration that has come on the scene and said, this is how to live. Other people need that. And it creates a mourning, listen, for my own sin as well as for those around me. And he promises, you will be comfort when you live like this. Then he moves on and says, you're blessed also if you're meek. And remember last, a couple weeks ago, we said meek does not mean weak. Meek means broken and submitted. It actually means humble. The picture I gave you a few weeks ago was the difference between a wild horse that might be really, really fast, but you can't tame it so it's useless you can't ride it but a beautiful picture of meek is a horse that is broken and submitted and the rider can point it this way take it into battle take it where it needs to go and it is willing to do what the rider has it to do that's not weakness it's still very strong very fast and he says all of these attributes are actually a picture of the blessed person they're meek they're humble and they'll receive or inherit the earth then he says you're blessed if you hunger and you're thirst now for righteousness now for the right way to live there is a there's a straight way there is a plumb line if you've ever tried to put pictures in your house, my wife, she's, had, she's made me do so many pictures in the house. Sometimes this whole like set where you have to have like things perfectly and I'm bad at this anyway, okay? And so I'm up close and it's all crooked by the end. She has to stand way far behind to tell me whether or not it's straight. But then really we need some kind of plumb line to say, what is straight? What is right? And it says here, when you hunger and thirst for his righteousness, the right way to live. And this righteousness denotes reconciliation with people being right with people loving people loving god a lot of us think jesus just came to give us a get out of jail free card get out of hell free card and go to heaven listen jesus is interested in you to in going to heaven but he didn't die for you to go to heaven he died to reconcile the broken relationship with you and god you and others you and yourself and you and creation it's a beautiful thing that he did. And so he says, if when you hunger and thirst, you're only hungry and thirst for things you don't have. He says, when you hunger and thirst for God's way of living, his righteousness, his plumb line, then you will be truly satisfied. He goes on and he says, that now, here's some actions. That's an attitude, characteristics. He says, now, there's actions that come out of people that think like this and have this attitude and this posture. And he says, now you're merciful. You're blessed now when you're merciful because you give mercy to others. In fact, he gives a, a parable later. Jesus will give a parable of a man who owed a king a great sum of money, like millions of dollars. And the king said, don't worry about it. Forgave him his debt instead of sending him to prison. And that very same man went and wrung the neck of his slave who owed him a measly $10. And the king found out about it and said, how could you not be merciful to him when I forgave you all of that? And he ends with these words, 
if you don't forgive your brother or sister has offended you, your heavenly father will not forgive you either. It's the merciful that comes from a place of humility and meekness and brokenness that recognizes, man, look at all God gave me. How can I not look at others and give as well? Forgiveness, grace, the benefit of the doubt, sacrificial giving. This is what's produced in a blessed life. Then he continues. Now, the pure in heart, you're blessed when you're pure in heart, which means you don't mix your beliefs with all of the other beliefs, making it impure. There's a cleansing. There's a right way. And I'm pure. And when I do that, I actually start to see God in and through everything. He continues. Last week, G talked about the peacemakers. You're blessed. Now, you're not a peacekeeper. You're a peacemaker. But you do it with humble reverence and love, a heart that is pure and merciful. And then these two that we're going to hit just the last little bit today. It's almost like he gets to this portion and it's like, you know, because then he says, blessed are you that are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he doubles down. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He said, they did that to the prophets. And it's, it's almost like you're building the characteristic of a person that is meek and humble and great. And all of us would want to work for that kind of person, right? You want to work for someone that has your interests, who's thinking about you, who's trying to help you, not having you work to make them money. You want to work, you want to work with a humble, meek, poor in spirit, merciful person. And we all build this. And, and I think we can all in the room agree like, man, that's a great person. If you're single, you want to marry a person with these characteristics and these actions. But then it's mind boggling. If you think about it, Jesus then has to go in this way of suffering and persecution because for some reason, it's not so attractive to be all those things to culture in the world, it's going to come with some kind of persecution. And we see this perfectly with the life of Jesus. If Jesus was in their culture, Mr. Rogers, and everybody just loved him and he sang songs, we did not crucify Mr. Rogers. He did not die a horrible, shame, shameful death. Something about Jesus, something about his words and his actions brought guilt and shame and frustration in the midst of being so full of compassion and mercy. Something about him brought persecution. And he said to himself, look at the Torah, look at the Old Testament. The prophets were all persecuted and yet they stood for righteousness. He says this, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, not for doing something wrong. You should be persecuted if you've done something wrong. This morning, we had kind of a crazy first service because we got here, we're setting up and doing our normal thing, thanking our awesome volunteers, our children's ministry and getting ready for the service. And somebody went to building B and found out someone threw a brick in it and stole a bunch of our equipment in the other building. Now, I'm not gonna bless those people. <laughs> that was wrong. That was not righteous. It's crazy. We're talking about persecution and we have a break-in last night, right? In our church, God says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Theirs is the kingdom of God. How can I be blessed and be this kind of person? 
and people will speak ill about me, utter all kinds of evil against me falsely. We see this if you watch any documentaries online or watch anything where somebody's trying to do something good, but people hated them for their goodness because of jealousy, because of frustration, because they had a different sense of morality. We see this everywhere. You see this as Jesus mentioned the prophet. You've got the prophet Jeremiah, who is seeing the state of Israel and is prophesying, if we don't get our act together, he's talking to Israel and he's living in Jerusalem. He says, we don't get our act together. We are going to, I'm prophesying, we are going to be destroyed by the Babylonians. And there were other prophets that were whispering in the king's ear and telling all the people, no, we're great. God is for us. We're the best. Nobody's going to mess with us. And little do we know, here we go. In 587 BC, boom, the destruction of the temple. And Jeremiah was right. But you know what? They didn't listen to him. They persecuted him. They put him in prison. They put him in jail. And this is what Jesus was referring to. He was referring to John the Baptist, his cousin, who was beheaded for righteousness sake. Because when you stand up for anything in our culture, somebody is going to hate you for it. I hear a lot, and we do a lot of um, uh, campus ministry in our church, and we'll go on campus, and we'll try to talk to people about the Lord. Like, we're not weird and abrasive. I mean, we really do want to listen to people. We want to have conversations, not just yell at you. Uh, I don't think that's an effective way to evangelize, but we hear a lot, and the kind of the, the temperature of the culture is the lack of tolerance that, Christian, that Christianity has. You hear this a lot in our culture. Oh, Christians, or you believe this. We hear it when we talk to our kids, and, and literally they're in groups in, in high school where no one will let them even talk about God or Jesus and immediately shut them down. Because the culture has changed. And I'm not being a martyr or anything, but it has changed. You know, 50, 60 years ago, if you moved into a city and you wanted to get a loan for business or you wanted to get a loan for a home, you would go to the bank and you could get, back in the day, a pastor of a church in that community, a recommendation letter, and the bank would use that as a part of who you are upstanding good in community in order to trust you with a loan. That's foreign today. A lot of the reasons because Christians rightfully have been persecuted for unrighteousness. Dumb things Christians have done that have disdained and put a stain on Christianity as a whole. But we see a shift in culture in the sense that it's this idea that you believe certain things. We believe in just accepting everyone in total tolerance. And that you are intolerant and evil now for what you stand for. And this has been the shift in our culture over the past several years. Now, why do I mention that? Because when I think Jesus saying you're going to be persecuted, I think in our terminology, especially in America, I've got friends that are persecuted like whipped, been beaten by a tree, almost uh, completely de-skinned in India. I have these kind of friends that have that kind of persecution. But the persecution we're dealing with more so is an intellectual or idealized persecution when it comes to this idea of tolerance. I want to equip you as we leave uh, today just with what 
you can expect if you haven't ran into it now, but can expect future and maybe equip you with a little bit of how to talk or deal with this idea of tolerance. I would personally say Christianity is the most tolerant religion or, or ideology out there. And this is why. There's three types of tolerance. Number one, there's a social tolerance. So tolerance is nuanced. This idea of accept everybody, talk to everybody, be willing to open up. But it's nuanced. There's social tolerance with Christianity would totally agree with. And this is, I may disagree with you, but we could be friends. That's a great tolerance. You better have that in your marriage. Or you're not, it's not going to work very well. We can agree to disagree socially without me appending doom on you or canceling you, we can agree to disagree on certain things. There is another tolerance that Christianity would agree with, and that's legal tolerance. This is, you have the right to believe what you want and hold on to what you want. This is specifically how the First Amendment was made of the, 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 the rights of speech and the freedom of religion. We don't want in legal tolerance to make anybody have to go to court or go to jail if they don't believe in the name of Jesus. That is horrible. Horrible. We do not believe in that. We believe in freedom of religion. Believe what you want, but allow me to believe what I want and even talk to you about it and let's discuss social tolerance. These two, Christianity absolutely upholds and upholds in a beautiful way where Jesus was called a gluttoner, a drunken by religious people, friend of sinners. He had social tolerance and yet there is one area of tolerance he refused to bow down to, and it's the last tolerance, intellectual tolerance. This is the idea of a total tolerance in the world that's not nuanced, that you're socially, legally tolerant, we agree with, but intellectual tolerance is where we have to go, this, is, this isn't true, and you don't believe it either. And this is what so intellectual tolerance is. The, the idea or the fact that every idea is equally valid, sound, or true. You don't live that out. So everyone's intolerant to that extent. We should be socially tolerant. tolerant. We should be legally tolerant. But where the persecution comes is because we cannot be intellectually tolerant. Because not all things are equally true. For instance... Let's say I believe that the best way for you to optimize the performance of your laptop is to remove your antivirus protection, take down your firewall, open up every email attachment from people and companies you do not know, and download as much free software as you can from sites you have never heard of. Is that idea true? Is it equally true? Are all ideas sound and true? And everyone in this room would go, no, you can't tolerate that idea because it's not true. Equally, if I was driving down 59 over here and I got stuck on the side because I ran out of gas and someone pulled up behind me and brought a bag of sand and said, listen, this sand is going to optimize your car. I'm going to say, socially, I respect you. You have the image of God. Let's talk. But I deny the truth and reality that that intellectual argument is true. This, again, is where everyone really lives. Everyone finds something that they uphold as truth and is intolerant to all intellectual ideas. And we have to be in order to discern well. But a culture that says you have to 
abide by social, legal, and even intellectual tolerance, all ideas are equal and the same, listen, no one really lives that out. And the people that are the most abrasive about their thing, listen, are not living that out either. Because as soon as you come against them, they will get rid of you. That is not tolerance. I wanted to talk about this because this is inhibiting us from a lot of the change within the church and outside of the church that we need. Because if we're afraid to share an idea that we believe to be true, the true blessings of Jesus from his perspective, we say, I love Jesus, I'm about Jesus, I'm about his way, I'm a Christian, but then I don't wanna share my idea because I don't wanna offend you and look intolerant. Listen, we will never get rid of evil in the world. We will not even agree on what evil is. We will not see change ultimately in hearts if we can't have a posture of, I love you, I disagree with you, and let's reason together, let's talk, because intellectually we're not on the same page. It's interesting that Penn and Teller, Penn Gillette, was quoted years ago, he is a pretty strong atheist, and he was quoted years ago uh, saying this, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and hell and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make them socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? And he concludes in this video, I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, but that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. It's offensive. And this is more important than that. If we are so afraid of persecution, of people not liking us, and again, don't hear what I'm not saying, there's a right way to do it, there's a loving way to do it, but to challenge ideas and to say this is the way of Jesus, it is a way, and to challenge those ideas, you're right, all the just flighty prayers, all of the laws we can create that people will just disobey, all of the things we try to do will amount to nothing because at the end of the day, we're more afraid of them and sharing with them love, truth, because we don't wanna be persecuted. The Apostle Peter says it this way in his letter, 1 Peter, and at that time, there's this king named Nero who was literally, Fox's Book of Martyrs, many historians share lighting Christians on poles to light up the pathway on the highways, killing them. So they knew a thing or two about persecution, intellectually, 
spiritually religious persecution that was coming against them. And here's his words. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Not just talking, but living. And he continues and he says this, beloved, he's talking to the church. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. I think Peter was continuing this understanding of the blessed life. Expect it. When evil happens in our world or to us, he says, don't look around as if some strange things happened. You profess to follow a God who was horribly crucified, naked on a cross. And on that cross cried out, Father, forgive them, mercy. Humbly went to that cross when he didn't have to. Meekness. Jesus is the perfect example. And if we think everyone's just gonna love you because you act like this or like that, in righteousness, you're mistaken. When you think everything's just gonna work out because God is blessing me, maybe not. Maybe he's testing you. Maybe he's battle readying you. Maybe he's building compassion in you so that you can reach out to someone else because you know what it's like to hurt as well. Maybe he's making you like his son. We serve God who was persecuted. And he looked at his disciples and he said this. The student is not above the teacher. If they hate me, they'll hate you. Now, don't be people that cause hatred in your actions and your deeds. But don't expect everyone to love you. And I think of the words of Jesus that even says, Woe to him who everyone loves. There's something going on with that person placating to everyone's desires. We are a people called to be salt and light, called to be blessed like Jesus, called to live in his way and trust him. Persecution will come. But if it's for righteousness sake, we can stand up like the fathers of the faith and rejoice because the kingdom has come. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your blessed kind of life.
Let us remove the wrong ways of thinking of who you are, of why we're here. God, let us not go too far that we don't trust you for healing, that we don't trust you for deliverance, that we don't trust you for great things. We do both, but at the end, God, your will be done. That's what it means to follow you. God, we don't do it to get something from you. We do it because you've given yourself to us, a loving relationship, like a husband and a wife, till death do us part. Lord, thank you for your love that you demonstrate for us.